Welcome to Allocation Disorder 1v1. I am Paul Tenorio, joined today by Philadelphia Union head coach Jim Curtin. Jim, I've got to start by asking you, what in the heck is going on in Philadelphia? You can't seem to do anything but beat teams by six goals or more. What's 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 the secret? What's going on? First off, thanks for having me, Paul. Um, you know, I, I, I wish I had an answer. Uh, it's not normal. I think that it's um, become a challenge in our in our stadium now when it's you know one zero at halftime or something you're getting yelled at when you go off the field so <laughs> we're almost trying to uh, not lower expectations but just recognize that you know six goals is a special number to, to hit and to hit it this many times during a season I think is abnormal um, but look the players deserve uh, all the credit here you know we were a team that was really struggling to score goals early in the year we were creating chances but we weren't scoring and we weren't conceding so uh, you know to see the offense click like this, uh, you know, probably the catalyst is Daniel Gazdag really getting going. Uh, and obviously, uh, Ure getting more fit and used to his teammates. And then Julian Carranza's had a, a career type season. So um, once that front three gets going and, and we defend like we do, we're, we're really tough to beat. Well, I want to go over some of these stats to show how unique it is what <laughs> you guys are doing. Um, you're 11 and 2 since July 8th. You've outscored opponents 46 to 9 in that time. Only 10 other teams in the whole league have scored 46 goals all year. And you have four games where you've won by six or more goals since July 8th. No other team in MLS history, history has ever won four games by six or more goals. So it's not just a little bit unique, it is incredibly unique. And I, I just wonder like, when you're going through a run like this, are you not changing anything about what you're doing in training? Are you just trying to like keep things rolling as best you can? How do you kind of manage a group that's playing so well and everything's hitting like this? Yeah, look, that's a great question. And, um, you know, I could give a BS answer where I'm saying I'm giving PowerPoint presentations to each player every day. And that's the reason why we're having success. But, um, you know, Danny Higginbottom asked me the same question just on a call before the game. He does our announcing and obviously has a ton of experience. And my answer was actually for, for players one through 11 right now, it's it's get the hell out of the way and, and stay in the same routine. These guys are creatures of habit. Um, stick with what we're doing. Your challenge as a coach, though, during the season is how do you keep player 12 through 28 going and happy and competing every day and training? Because um, that's what really makes your, your starters good. Um, we do have a little bit of depth, but um, one thing you've seen with us is we've been able to say stay really healthy, number one, and and, and play with you know, the same 13, 14 players. So there's a real cohesion with our group that they know exactly what the other guy's strengths and weaknesses are. And for me, it's something that doesn't get talked about enough, but staying healthy during the year, uh, having a great sports performance staff um, sometimes is more valuable than what I can do on the field with X's and O's and tactics and formation. So um, that's a really big piece. So uh, sorry to say, but sometimes it's just be quiet and get out of the way and let these guys operate. They're, they're playing great right now. They're all confident. Sure, you give little conversations here and there to keep the confidence and keep them going, but um, you, you kind of just step back and say, you know, keep doing the same things you're doing. Um, we'll give little reminders in film and that kind of thing, but uh, I have to say I have a great staff that does a great job with them, and, um, you know, the, the players have, have made us look really good. Where do you kind of learn that along the way? Is it is it just from your experience coaching different teams? Do you look back at your playing career? I mean, you were on some really good teams in MLS. That fire team had also a lot of big personalities and veteran guys, you know, and coached by a guy like Bob Bradley for a while. Yeah. I mean, where did you learn that ability to know when to step in and when, as a broadcaster would say, when sometimes just to lay out? 
Yeah, um, look, a, a lot of soccer is is timing. Uh, there's a little bit of luck. Um, I, I think back all the time to if I had been drafted by the Tampa Bay Mutiny and instead of the Chicago Fire, what would my life and career look like? And I, I'd have to say it would be a heck of a lot different. Um, I'd probably be in finance in a cubicle right now because my career didn't go anywhere. Um, but I got thrown into a locker room of, of winners, uh, of coaches. Everybody's done the list. There's literally 15 guys that have, have been top coaches in our league and, and obviously in, in Europe now. Um, so I was just in a great environment. And, and, you know, seeing those guys work as players every day, obviously Bob Bradley's uh, tutelage as well, um, you know, his, his messaging on, you know, when to push the team, maybe when to step back. I, I think I, I learned a lot um, during my time as a player. And then I needed experience on my own too. I, I had to. I had some failures. I made some mistakes early on as a young coach. Um, I'll tell you right now, at 34 years old, when I was the head coach, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I, I, I was given time from our ownership. I was given um, a belief that we were going to do things in a unique way. Um, we weren't going to go out and buy, you know, big name players to sell jerseys or sell tickets. We were going to do it through a youth academy, something that I was a big believer in and, and came from. Um, so, you know, I, I think giving me time to make mistakes and learn um, was important, too, because oftentimes in this business, in pro sports and in, in soccer in particular, you know, you, you say it's a family and you're all together. And then the second something goes wrong, we say it's a business and, and people get fired pretty quickly. So uh, I think the uh, the ownership here had a, a real belief in our plan, stuck to that plan, um, didn't just use words. They actually did it through actions. And I think right now you're starting to see. Um, you know, the, the bearing of fruit from that, that, that process. And now we're, uh, I hate that I said process as a Sixers fan, sorry, but uh, <laughs> I didn't say that. But um, no, look, again, we had a, a vision for it. And right now um, we don't have all the answers. We're not perfect. Um, we're still getting better as a club and growing, but um, I think we've done some pretty good things. Well, I do want to come back to kind of what you guys have built because this is allocation disorder. And that is my favorite thing to talk yeah. about roster building, but you know, you, you mentioned the idea of family versus business. And I saw something I was looking, just reading about you before this. And one thing stood out to me, I didn't know, I didn't realize you got traded February 7th, 2008. Um, something big had happened the day before that. Can you tell me about what it was like to get traded on that day and why it might have been a little bit more of a life shaking move than e even a normal trade? Yeah, that's just the well, you did your homework, first of all, man. Like, you <laughs> caught me off guard. So I'm going to preface this by saying Dennis and Hamlet and I are still are very close at the time, are still very close. As recently as our last game, you know, I, I saw his wife and kids and, you know, you, you give him a hug and a kiss. It's great to catch up with with Dennis. Um, but uh, on that day, um, I was traded, uh, had my first child, uh, my daughter, Ryan. Um, I was woke up in the morning, uh, had had a, a surgery on my shoulder. Um, and you know, Dennis had just been named uh, the, the coach and the, actually, sorry, he was the, was he the GM? He might've been the coach at the time. There was, it was, it was a weird, a weird time in the fire where Juan Carlos Osorio was maybe moving on to, to New York. Um, anyway, Dennis's long story short, Dennis's first move was to trade me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I wasn't happy. You know, we had some, some words on the phone for sure. Um, but you know how that is as a, as a pro athlete to, to be told, you know, it's probably time to move on. Um, it is tough. The good news was at Chivas USA, I was thrown right back into a locker room with old buddies and Jesse Marsh and, and Ante Razoff and Zach Thornton was there. Um, so we didn't, didn't miss much um, in, in terms of the, the learning and the tutelage like you talked about before. But um, that one always catches you off guard, especially the day after you have a kid. It's the hard part of, of, 
of being a pro athlete. And I have no ill will towards Dennis anymore at all. And I understand it so much better now as a, as a, a guy on the other side. But when you're a player, you're very much, you know, selfish and me, me, me. And, and how will this affect me? Um, and, and not seeing the bigger picture of the team. And at that time, I was getting towards the end, I guess you could say, of my career. And uh, yeah, a hard decision was made that didn't go my way. Um, and then obviously having my first daughter, I think we all know how hard that can be uh, and then the effects that that has on on people um, and, and pro athletes too. So uh, that was a crazy moment, a crazy time. But in hindsight, you know, I wouldn't change it for anything because I got to live in Hermosa Beach with my family. And and <laughs> that's not a bad thing either. And, and obviously played some years with Chivas USA, who was at one time very, very good. I hate when everybody that was a good team. Chivas. That was a good team. You know, they made hey. the playoffs a lot. So just uh, always like to throw that out there too. <laughs> you, you, gotta, you, you probably have a few good like Chivas stories that fit the Chivas ethos though. I mean, that, oh, yeah, there's, yeah, there's some ones that were, you saw some things. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> I'll just say the, uh, the galaxy was definitely the Lakers. We were the Clippers. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> well, did you, do you break the news of the trade your wife in the hospital or do you wait till you got home with the baby first? That's a great question. So she was in the hospital still. I was on the couch, you know, getting, gathering stuff up and, and putting it in a bag to go back. And, and yeah, there was some, uh, some word, words exchanged between Dennis and I, you know, of course, as a player, again, another selfish one, you're thinking, what did they trade me for? And I, I, and I, you know, I basically learned I got traded for a, a box of famous Amos cookies. I think I got traded <laughs> for nothing. So, uh, you know, you're 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 almost you're, it's a double kick in the uh, in the groin because you, you you think your value's a little bit more. And it was essentially nothing. They just wanted me out of there. So, <laughs> tough well, reality. Let, let's turn to better days, better news, <laughs> which is back to this roster. How you put it together, and I love this team because you guys used everything that you can use in MLS to sign yeah. players. Outside of what you talked about earlier, there's no big name, big flashy, huge money player. But when you look at the way you built this team, you went through the draft. You've got homegrowns who are contributing, which I think is always a game changer in this league. You've got players that you signed from the international market. And when you go down that list of Daniel Gajdag, Jose Martinez, Jacob Glesnes, Kai Wagner, Leon Flock, Casper Shabilko, even when you brought him in. Mm -hmm. You're finding guys who are outperforming their budget numbers by a big amount. That, you know, the question is, how are you finding these guys and hitting at such a high success rate? And that doesn't even go, by the way, into the DP, Ure yeah. up top, Carranza, yeah. who you sign on $500,000 yeah. off of a loan fee of a third round pick. I mean, just incredible maneuvering. What's what's the secret? Is it this Philadelphia Union value I just learned about? What what's the what's the the secret there? Yeah, you even could go back and throw in an, an Ilsenio, you know, who's a nine million dollar player that we got for a couple hundred grand, you know, and and we're just fortunate, you know, to have him. Uh, Jamiro Montero, you throw Sergio Santos. There's a tons of name, tons of names of of guys that that perform. Um, the one thing I've I've learned is that you know, in this league, you have to be able to. You know, there's moments where you want to be proactive. Don't get me wrong, but you have to be able to react quickly to the rules in this league and the changing of the rules because they change at a rate that I can't keep track of. And I, <laughs> you know, defer to at the time Chris Albright, Ernst Tanner, uh, you know, for the way that they built this roster. And yeah, a lot of work behind the scenes has been done um, where the analytics department has comprised basically a, you know, a version of a quarterback rating, you know, system, but it's specific not to the whole league like the quarterback rating is in the NFL. It's, it's specific to the Philadelphia Union. So every little advantage we need to, to find, um, you know, we have the three pillars. You've heard me talk about them at, at nauseum, you know, where, again, you know, we believe 
Uh, we want to build from within. That's number one. You know, so that goes for players. Obviously, we want to promote from our academy, but we also bring scouts up. We bring coaches for, up from the academy. Um, so really building from within and, and looking internally first. Uh, number two is any, you know, a group of 11 players cohesively together can beat any individual talent. Uh, and we believe that strongly. Uh, and then the last one is innovation. We have to be creative how we do it. So, you know, what you brought up, the, the PUV, uh, you know, the way we scout and mine maybe I'll just say leagues and regions that we're not going to outscout Man United and we're not going to win Brazil, you know, if we go and try and find the best Brazilians, you know, or Argentinians that might be out of our price point in certain levels. So um, we find guys in different leagues um, that have a chip on their shoulder as well. I think that's really important to say uh, that have maybe been undervalued or maybe coming off of an injury or maybe a coach that didn't get along with them uh, after a coaching change, you know, so, um, you find value in, in that way. Um, but I have to give a ton of credit to our uh, our data team, our analytics, uh, you know, the, the job, you know, Ernst and, and Chris Albright did. Uh, Chris is going to do it now in, in Cincinnati as well. And you're, you guys are going to see how that will be a meteoric rise there because now he's going to have, um, you know, some contracts that are going to shift and come off the books that uh, they're, I'll just say they're a, a sleeping giant right now. They're already a great team. Yeah, it's already, um, they, already turned around quickly. Already, you know, so, um, and the job Pat Noonan's doing there. So uh, we had good people, you know, it, I have to stress that also, you know, the people here um, like to come to work, the players like the environment, and they know that if they play well, look, we want to win here first and foremost. We want to give trophies to our fans, but we also want everybody to go to whatever their max might be. And some that might be MLS, some that might be Europe. And that's, uh, that's okay. Um, so um, yeah, we, we like what we're doing right now. We don't have all the answers, so please don't take it the wrong way. But uh, I think we are doing some good things here uh, and really finding, like you said, you know, those, those guys that um, we don't, we don't, we aren't perfect, but we don't have the, the miss rate that maybe other teams do. And, and in this league, with the, the value of allocation money and, and the different little advantages you can find, you got to hit on, on, on a high percentage. Otherwise you can be in big trouble. It's like drafting the bad quarterback in the NFL. It can set you back. Not just one year. It can set your franchise back five years. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, one of those names is, is one that maybe gets looked over just because he's been there for so long. But I remember when Alejandro Bedoya was coming back in MLS and people were worried about the price tag that Bedoya mm -hmm. wanted when he was yep. coming back. Bet you guys would probably pay double or triple what you were paying at the beginning, not just for what he's done on the field, but you know, from what I've heard, his, his presence in the locker room and for you as a manager has been critical to selling who the Philadelphia Union are, the, the ideas that, that you want to push forward as a, as a manager, that he's been somebody who's made sure that translates in the locker room. How important has he been and, and, and how much is that a part of trying to figure out how to build a roster to make sure that the way the locker room works, that you have a guy like Bedoya who, who maybe is that I don't know, coach in the locker room is not the right way to put it, but somebody exactly who gets the it. right way. It's the, yeah. Paul, it's, it's, it's the exact right way to put it. He is my voice in the locker room. Um, and I'll start by saying this wouldn't have happened without Alejandro. You know, the transforming of this franchise would not have happened without the investment into Alejandro uh, Bedoya. Uh, I could, I could have come and gone by now. Uh, sporting directors can change, but Alejandro has been the constant and he's been here uh, and, and kind of, really 
connected our, our young guys to our older guys. Um, having played in Europe, having played in the World Cup, you know, he could have came in here with an attitude of, no, I, I want, I'll only play if you bring in a DP striker or I'll only play if you bring in this or that. Instead, he did the opposite. He helped the young kids. He showed them the way. Um, he really is the glue. He can, he can relate to he can relate to me. I'm, I'm only a little bit older than him, and he can relate to a 15 or 16 year old in the locker room. And he has this uh, infectious, um, you know, attitude, and and just is a good person. So, um, you know, I can't say enough for how much he's meant to our franchise. Uh, and it's actually hilarious to think. Again, you talk about timing, luck, right place, right time. Um, Chris Albright and I went over to to not to to recruit Fernando Aristigueta, the striker, um, who I also loved as a player. It just great didn't player, work out yeah. perfectly here. He's doing great in Mexico now. But um, we went there for Fernando. Uh, in passing, obviously, we knew Alejandro was there. Uh, we saw him at training. We said hello. He connected. And he said, why don't you guys come to lunch? Uh, you know, I'll come with my wife. And we sat down with them and uh, loved Alejandro, loved his wife. And, and, and she made fun of Alejandro just enough for me to notice this is a great guy <laughs> that can be, uh, you know, the leader type of a franchise because uh, his, his wife is, is funnier than him. And, and uh, you know, I'll just say it was, it was a fun, fun uh, lunch. And then all of a sudden that you start talking, you know, maybe you could come and, and here's our project. And over time, he eventually decided to do it. And I think it's funny that that, that little lunch went a long way and, and kind of, building the culture here in Philadelphia, because without Alejandro, I'm telling you, it just doesn't work. I look at so many teams in this league with, sure, man-to-man, maybe have more talent than us or bigger names or spend more money, but um, what we do have is a guy like Alejandro to keep everybody together and go in the, in the same direction. Well, you mentioned something, his ability to connect to young guys. It's easy to talk about playing young players. I think mm-hmm. we, you know, especially we write about it. Oh, you got to start playing young players, develop them. It's a, it's a lot harder in practice yeah. You look down the list of the homegrowns that you've either had that have moved on to Europe. Mark McKenzie, obviously, Brandon yeah. Aronson, both of whom trying to fight. Well, Brandon is going to be in the World Cup squad. Mark yeah. McKenzie still trying to fight in. But the guys who are competing this year, Jack McGlynn, Quinn Sullivan, uh, Nate Harriel. I mean, you go to Paxton Aronson. How do you manage when to get guys on the field? How often the mix of young guys with the veterans? How do you sell it to the veterans that this is a part of who we are? They might not be better than you right now, but we need them on the field to get better. How is that dynamic managed when you're competing for a supporter shield, when you want to win trophies? Yeah, it's, it's not easy. And then even, you know, you throw in a Leon Flock, you throw in even Austin Trusty, you know, who, you know, we, we may be monetized in league, but also is playing great right now, you know, in a, in a top league in Europe, you know, which is really cool to see. So um, if you get them to really, really believe that um, everybody is pulling, you know, in, in the same direction here, we all want to reach our, our maximum. Um, look, pro sports is a, it can be very, uh, Players can be very jealous, you know, in, in certain moments. And if you can create an environment where, no, everybody really does want uh, you the best for you. And, again, for some of them, it's going to be uh, MLS All-Star, which is an incredible accomplishment. For some of them, it might be that they get to do what Brendan does uh, and, and play at, at, at Salzburg and Leeds and play for the national team. Um, but if everybody has a feeling that uh, this staff uh, and the people here really do want me to reach my max, I think that as a starting point. Um, sounds easy to produce, but it's actually the hardest thing to get because, you know, like I said, everybody usually looks over their shoulder and kind of gives you that, do they really have my best interest? Um, but there's been games where I've had to drop players that 
you know, have 200 games in this league for a young guy. Um, and it just was what was needed at the time. I've even had hard conversations with Alejandro, you know, where I go, Ali, it's the third game in a week. You know, obviously we're best when you're starting, but are we going to risk injury here? And we can have open, real conversations. And and he can send me a text and let me know that maybe he doesn't feel right. And he's, he's grown and matured that way too. So I think everybody kind of feels on the same page. It's not easy, Paul, you know, to get that because everybody wants minutes. Everybody wants to start. Everybody wants the credit. You know, I think of Jack McGlynn right now. I mean, he could knock on my door with his agent every day and say, how am I not starting? Because every time I put the kid on the field, we win four five zero, and he contributes in a, in a huge way. He, he works hard defensively. His, his passing and his IQ with the ball is the best I've ever worked with, and he's 19 years old. And I have to go up to him and tell him you're out because we're, it's, it's the hardest thing in, in pro sports. And, and it, I, I don't have an answer. You know, I can say, yeah, work on this, this or this. But really, he, he's looking at me going, I deserve to play. And I'm going, I know you do. But right now, you know, this team is, is successful. We're winning. We have a plan for you. Be patient. And, and eventually they get sick of hearing patient. But, um, you know, I have a really good group of guys. And I think they do respect and understand that we're successful. We're winning. There's still teams looking at them, even though they might not get a ton of minutes in, in, in Europe, and they're going to go out with the youth national team now and do even better with them. So a long-winded answer of saying, you know, managing expectations for each player is, in, is different. You have to have individual relationships with each one. Uh, again, I can talk about tactics or plans or all the PowerPoint BS that all the coaches want to show now, but it really <laughs> just comes down to relationships with, with individual people and, and trying to get the most out of them that way. And I, I think that goes for any line of work, really. Um, you know, the, the relationships you create with people are most important. And if they really trust you, you know, I think they'll stick with you. And there, is every kid going to go perfectly? No, but I think we've done a decent job and shown um, a decent track record of winning and then also, you know, moving kids on when the, the time is right. Yeah, I'm sure it gets, I mean, a little bit easier, not not that much easier to say to Jack. I mean, when he can look at what Brendan's path was yes, and, and understand that when you say we have a plan, yeah. well, you have you have evidence that the plan has worked in the past and, and trust us, you know? Exactly. Then, then there's no better recruiting tool for me than when they turn on the TV and Brendan's running around, not just for leads, but dominating for leads. You know what I mean? That is yeah. more powerful than anything I can say, you know? So again, uh, if you get these guys right and him and Mark playing over there and, and Austin doing well, I think that does give a little bit of, you know, belief and trust. And I call it equity. You know, they have equity and that's been built in and um, we believe in them. And, and also now they're putting the investment in and I think they're going to get the benefit down the road. Right, I'm going to pivot again here. Yeah. Instagram video you posted the other day with your shoe collection oh. <laughs> out on the table. I, I, yeah. I got to say, first of all, you know, this is a this is a, a trend here in the United States. If you're an American coach and a you know high profile, you're doing well, you got to have the the shoes to go with it. Are you competing with Greg Berhalter right now? For do you have a better shoe game? Is it longer lasting? What's going on? That's a good question. So mine dates back to the pandemic um, when I started wearing the Yeezys in the in the. I'll just say a more comfortable environment down in Florida where there was no fans in the bubble. Was it comfortable? In, in, it was actually ter- it was incredibly uncomfortable. It was very <laughs> hot. But um, that's the reason. I, I used to wear a suit every game, and I was superstitious. I never wanted to change the suit um, because I thought the players would be like, oh, he's not taking this game as seriously. Luckily, or I, not luckily because it was a pandemic, but when the pandemic hit, I would go more casual, T-shirt and joggers and, and sneakers, more what I would wear, you know, when I'm around with my friends having a beer. And um, 
the shoe thing became popular. I, I love sneakers. I have a sneaker problem. Um, and then actually it's, it started in Atlanta. I wore Nikes and I was not a Nike guy. Um, and that got me in some trouble. Nike yeah. got wind of the trouble. And then I, Nike gave me a nice little deal. And, uh, the rest is history, and now I'm a Nike guy, and, and obviously I have a I have a sneaker obsession. I don't know who wore who wore what first with Greg, but Greg's a friend, so um, <laughs> the fellow sneaker sneaker guy, which is is great, and an incredible coach as well. Um, but I, I put my, my put my um, my collection up against anybody. I got I got a good probably two fifth two hundred fifty pairs of sneakers, wow. and then the weird thing I have is every every Adidas Predator that was ever made from 2001 till I retired in 2010. I still have uh, in boxes unopened uh, every model that came out. And there's some hideous ones too, but um, also some, some cool ones. So. And then I got yeah. a lot of Adidas shoes too, but so no, no slight to Adidas, but I am a Nike guy now. So lots of, lots of sneakers and it's a problem in my house. Um, but maybe maybe a hobby that I have. <laughs> maybe less of a problem now that you got to deal with Nike. The budget the budget got eased up a little bit. I'm sure. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I've never paid for any of them hardly. I maybe a couple pairs that I really liked. I, I paid for. Well, you're either a predator guy or a Merc guy. When those initial Mercs came out, I was all about the Mercs. The problem is, I have my feet are too wide for those shoes. I could never <laughs> switch over to the Predators though. I don't know why. Um, well, I wanted to ask you, uh, again, going back to the teams you played for, the Fire and Chivas, I wanted to see if I could get at least one good story out of you, especially with the Fire. I mean, I've heard stories of, you know, the European Fire guys smoking cigarettes in the showers at halftime of games. It's all true. How crazy was it with that team? Oh, man. Uh, it was, again, I was, I literally was 21. So Villanova, picture sitting in class in a finance class. I've told this story. I got drafted. There was no ESPN. It was literally Bob Bradley. Get down to Florida. You'll have a chance to maybe make the team. If you don't come, you know, we're probably going to move on just because, you know, there was 18 man rosters. They, they couldn't really pause and wait for a kid to finish college. So I quite literally walked out of a finance class, went down to that team. And it's, it's, you know, it's Peter Novak and Stoichkov and Ante Razov, Chris Armas, Beasley, Bocanegra, uh, Jesse Marsh, Josh Wolf. I mean, you're just thrown into the gauntlet. And, and if, I've told this story too. Bob throws me into the, uh, the, the best possession. So with all the top, top guys. And I was basically a college kid who was half hung over, um, <laughs> you know, and, and I couldn't keep up. And I killed Peter Novak and injured him. And Bob had to stop the, the training session at that moment. And I got in the car with Jesse and I told him, well, at least I can say I, I got to kick Peter Novak and I'm probably going to get cut. Didn't happen. I wound up making the team somehow, hanging on by the the skin of my teeth and um, making it. Um, but yeah, the stories in that locker room. Dima Kovalenko was in there too, so he was uh, he was a legend. Another another classic guy where you, everybody has a good Dima story. Um, great teammate. But yeah, you saw some funny things for sure. As a, as a twenty one year old, I saw things that. Um, yeah, I just say I didn't know existed in in uh, pro sports. <laughs> but yeah, Storchkov used to make me carry his. Uh, it was like a 20 foot fishing pole. I had to carry it on every road trip, especially in the preseason because they would fish down in Florida. But I just remember having to walk through the airport with that thing a lot. Um, yeah, a lot of good, good times. And those guys all put their arm around me when I was a young player and uh, all great guys, CJ Brown. Geez, I'm, there's so many names that just were awesome people, great teammates and so many successful guys now in the league. Yeah, crazy when you when you rattle off those names, just the number of big names that ended up on an MLS roster. Yeah, uh, I'm going to end it with this one. I, I ask everybody, 
um, if, if there's one book that you're reading now or that you really love um, that you've read in the past, a favorite book that you'd recommend for people, uh, that's it. That's it. Do you have a book recommendation? Yeah. So I've actually gotten into, and this is kind of fitting. People are going to say I, I rigged this, but you just caught me off guard. But uh, uh, the Comanche Indians I've gotten into and become like a little bit obsessed with. They were like this tribe of Indians that didn't really have a a real skill or, or power. They were kind of an underdog and were basically disrespected by all the other Indian tribes. And their big revenge was to become amazing on horseback. So they found like an outlier innovative way to, um, you know, make a comeback, I'll just say. And then some of the things that they did and, and conquered and just did to, you know, at a time when America was, we were trying to settle this country, the, the fight that they put up and the code that they live by uh, in incredible, incredible uh, story and an incredible part of our history. Um, so wild. Um I'm, I'm going blank. Enter the summer, the summer moon, and uh, enter the summer moon. Uh, Quana Parker. It's a Comanche Indian book, and it is wild to think like that's what happened here in the, in the U.S. as it was being settled, and the fight that they had for almost 200 years of resistance and, and putting up a battle. Um, so yeah, it was a, a wild one to read and interesting. And I like history. I like real things that happen rather than like I can't stand the movies that are out today and the. <laughs> completely out of ideas and uh, of all the horrible, you know, remakes of bad Marvel comic and stuff. That's not real. I like the real stuff. So. All right. Well, there we <laughs> no, go. We got the document next time. We'll ask you for a documentary and we'll, we'll go from there. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Sounds I, good. I appreciate the time, Jim, as always. Congratulations on what's been a great season so far. Obviously not done yet. Work to do a trophy within reach already. MLS cup around the corner. Uh, all the best to you. And thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. Great catching up and thanks for making it easy on me. <laughs>